Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. wasn't sure if we were going to make it i thought you know it's it's a new year and um, i yeah, i've not spoken to you since you know beginning december i thought anything could have happened to you since anything you could have been stolen you could have been <laughs> anything's possible isn't it i I'd, yeah. like to think i'm in demand in one way or another but you know and that's why people would happen. steal you yeah i think I you know, you've got know. one of those personalities you've got that beautiful brain oh, people are going to want to steal you aren't they yeah thank you for that chris that's a lovely way to start the show isn't it really yeah and i'm full of compliments <laughs> i like that that can carry on i've got no problems with that at all and we're we're nearly a year old aren't we as well we're approaching our first year of film club aren't we yeah i mean this is our 11th in the kind of series episodes uh but it's about our 13th but yeah so we're coming up on 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 the annual um yeah. very exciting i didn't think we'd get this far because you know i have a uh a stick to itness problem i think sometimes i think well that's a good idea <laughs> a stick to itness problem you, you mean yeah. you just kind of let things go you get bored with them Is that yeah it? i mean do you know what? i play guitar and the only reason i've still played i i, I started when i was 13 was because my mum and dad bought me this guitar from Cash Converters going way back. And we were on the way home. And they, my mum my and dad are big, big music fans. And they said, oh, that's another thing that I'll end up under the bed. You know, because it was like I'd done basketball, I'd done cricket, I'd done football, I'd done everything. But I was like, yeah. you know what, I'm going to show you. And here we are, you know, 30, 20 years later, I'm still playing yeah, <laughs> just, well, to, just to show them. Yeah, and I just to prove a point that it wasn't totally wasted. Well, that's... That's the main thing. I'm sure they're thrilled as well. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean that, yeah, that's that's up for debate. But we'll we'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> um, but we are back. If this is your first time with uh, UK Film Club, you are of course very welcome. Mm-hmm. We are 
the kind of show that just loves movies. And mm. if if that isn't your bag, if you don't like films, I mean, you can hang around, but it might get boring. Um, well, you, but, you might change your mind. You never know. That's Give true. I mean, Brian's beautiful brain, that's a nice little phrase, might yeah. convince you that you, know, you want to go and start loving film mm. because he's got some absolute corkers to review on this yeah. episode. Um, but yeah, what we do is we review uh, a bunch of films that are at the cinema. Uh, Brian largely takes care of that. Then we do a film that were, has been on streaming that's fairly new. Then we do some indie films. This, these are films that have been sent to us to review. And then we review our nostalgic, nostalgia pick, which is a film from the past uh, that we just mm. like to travel back and uh, and enjoy. Right. Cue the harp music. I don't have any harp music, but cue it anyway. Cue well, it anyway. That for next time. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, well no, time. I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to buy an actual harp. I'm going to learn the harp. Even I'm going to sit even here. Better. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have it behind me. Um <laughs> And also in this episode, you will be treated to a little snippet of an interview that I did with the filmmakers of a short film we reviewed last year, The One Note Man, and that's coming up later. Um, but first, let's go Francais, shall we? Oh, Should we head Francais? Um, that's a little signal you give me there. To, a little signal. Uh, yeah. Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Take it yeah, away, Brian. Yeah, Okay. So, yeah, Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Vanessa Kirby, and Rupert Everett. Now, Chris, were you a fan of history at school? I was, uh, later yeah. in life. Uh, when, um, when I got to sort of sixth form, yeah. Yeah, I loved history as well. The thing is, if you're a history buff, you might be a wee bit disappointed with this film. So, Napoleon Bonaparte, military commander, emperor of France, a major historical figure, I think we can agree on that. Fair to say... It concentrates more on his relationship with Josephine de Bonnes. There is coverage given to major battles and campaigns, the Siege of Toulon, Austerlitz, Borodino, and of course Waterloo. But not it doesn't focus that much on military campaigns. They widen the appeal by concentrating on Napoleon and Josephine. Uh, but some might question the accuracy in historical terms. Yes, there is some license taken here. But it is trying to summarise the last 30 years of his life. Overall, Ridley Scott has done a pretty damn good job here. The battle scenes are excellent. The pacing. One thing about Ridley Scott, he knows how to pace a film properly. And that's so important when you're summarising multiple events. I think it's great fun to watch. Visually, it's stunning. And you get to see more about the human side of Napoleon. Yes, he was, he was cold and he was arrogant. But you see him as he was and not so much as to the um, the power games that he played, you know. So this film came out in November. It's still running, uh, but it will be streaming quite soon, I understand. So as we always say, don't we, get out and see it if you can on the big screen because nothing beats a film on the big screen. But no, great fun. Thoroughly recommended, but see it while you can. Because he's just known for these big films, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you look at his filmography, and Ridley Scott is just he's he's got to be a top tier top five director for a lot of people like yeah. uh, so many fantastic movies I mean these, and yeah it's yeah. it's incredible when you see people still creating films on on such a scale you know this is a two hour 40 uh, biopic you know yeah. hitting the cinemas yeah. is it 
when it comes to biopics, there is definitely a, a leniency when it comes to the running time because you kind of go, do you know what? Yeah, we we understand you've got a lot to fit in. Yeah, three, of course. You know, yeah. Up to three hours is kind of okay. Yeah. Um, is that you said the pacing's great? You know, there's no. Do you, do you feel maybe it needs to be longer? No, I don't think it does. I think it's about right. You know, you you could you could split Napoleon's life into three or four films. You could make two or three sequels from. From the polling. So let's not forget there was one film dedicated to just, to just Waterloo, and that's just one part of his life. So I think the, the film, the, the running length was about right this time. I think it was. And you didn't feel there was undue attention given to one ministry campaign more than and another. So I think the, the pace and the balance and the rhythm the story was really good but you had that there was a stronger focus on his relationships or more more precisely his relationship with with josephine and as i say that's broadened its appeal it's going to make that film more attractive to a wider audience which is what filmmaking is all about so you don't want it to be one just for for history buffs who just want to see a, a sequence of battles and confrontations as much fun as that is you want to see some light and some shade so you've got uh you've got uh elements of the battlefield and the bedroom you know it's a nice balance between the two i love it that should be on the poster i know, balance I know. between the battlefield and the bedroom yeah i know yeah. it's a good Not line that though. i should have been a copywriter shouldn't i really? <laughs> you should do this you know professionally yeah i know i know, I know, I know. one day what about know. what about phoenix um joaquin phoenix what's joaquin. his performance like very good very convincing Rod Steiger is probably the, the the reference point for anyone playing playing Napoleon, and a few actors have played him over the years. But uh, he seems to have captured the mannerisms how you imagined him to be. You know, I when I was at school, I studied the Napoleonic Wars. You study the, the character, the person, as much as you do the campaigns and the politics of it all. But it it seems real. It seems to come across as real and believable. Not too much of a caricature. I think it's very easy to go into caricature with someone like Napoleon, you know, the little corporal. It's, it's very easy to send the character up. Um, but I don't think he does that. I think he plays it right. There's that degree of coldness and cool calculation about Napoleon that you always imagined he would be. So when you read about an historical figure, you try and marry it up as, as to how he would look on screen. Joaquin Phoenix has done has done pretty good there. I think I think it's a good reading of of the poem. There you go. Uh, as Brian said, still in cinemas, but uh, probably not for that long. Um, but one I will be catching on streaming for sure, for sure. Um, well, <clears throat> from one interesting uh, character to another, we're going to Paul King's version of Wonka. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you a brand new contraption of my creation, an innovation in longification. Scrub, scrub. Let me ask you a question. How does Tittles want to spend all his time chasing after Milner? And what do I have to do all day, fellow scrubbers? Please. Scrub, scrub. But now, with Willy Wonka's wild and wonderful wishy-washy Wonka Walker, please don't make me say that again, Tittles gets to run and I can have fun. Scrub, scrub. Just popping out for a bit. I'll be back before roll call. Until then, Tittles has agreed to scrub, scrub. Uh, starring Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Um, yes. What about this? I mean, well, just straight off the bat, I am a massive fan of the yeah. Gene Wilder version. 
Uh, oh right, in seventy one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. big big fan of that. Wasn't yeah. that bothered with the Tim Burton one? I thought that no, was kind of a bit meh. No. Um, so I am very intrigued to hear where this sits. Yeah, this is good. This this oh. really impressed me. As you say, directed by Paul King, who also directed Paddington. So you feel ah. that he's coming from the right perspective and has got the right background to make a film like this. Nice calibre. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> starring Timothy Chalamet, Calla Lane, Olivia Coleman, Patterson Joseph, and some very nice cameos that you need to look out for. Uh, so this is the Roald Dahl classic, rebooted and refreshed. Willy Wonka has dreams of becoming a chocolatier but comes up against Mrs. Scrubbit, who offers him a bed for the night. However, he signs a contract that condemns him to a life of drudgery and debt. In a dark and grimy laundry, he toils with noodle and abacus crunch. With the help of his new friends, he develops a recipe that quickly alerts the local cartel of chocolatiers. The cartel, led by Slugworth, is determined to stop him and enlists the help of the local constabulary. He is also dogged by a troublesome Oompa Loompa concerning some stolen cocoa beans. With new songs written by Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy and brilliant special effects, this is a must-see film. I absolutely love this. It seems to take, you know, I would say I would say it's much more Gene Wilder than it is Johnny Depp, if I can put it that way. Oh, good. It leans more towards the 71 film more than the 2005 film. Uh, I really like the new songs that uh, have been written for, for the film. You've still got um, pure imagination in there, which is like the, the call sign for Willy Wonka. But fantastic. I absolutely adored it. Special effects aren't overpowering for a change. They seem to enhance the film, although they, there is a reliance on special effects because of what the story is about. Hugh Grant as uh, the Oompa Loompa, technically absolutely brilliant. I mean, how on earth do they reduce him to somebody who's one for 12 inches tall it, and it's it's amazing it's a joy to watch it really is and you know you would <clears throat> you would say it's difficult to to improve on the originals it's not a sequel it's a remake isn't it and where remakes are concerned this does more than the job it's really good so so good this came out a week before christmas and it's still running um a lovely film and it just invokes your childhood because i don't know about you um when i was a kid growing up books by Roald Dahl were always somewhere lying around that i'd be reading it's like a rite of passage it's the the sort of stories you read james and the giant peach great stories Mm. but fantastic true to the story true to the original intention of the story as well brilliant loved it and i think there's also this kind of uh, question a lot of times about remakes and reboots and things like that where a story like this that's so iconic mm. it deserves remaking even yeah. though the, the Gene Wilder one is fabulous um, and the Tim Burton one has its place I think this is a bit too dark for me but you know Roald Dahl was kind of dark yeah. um, that to you know, for an audience to grow up and not have their version of it, I think is kind of yeah. a shame. And yeah. also you know, it being a PG, it's it's saying that, do you know what? Yeah, we are aiming at this generation of, yeah. of families and children. Mm-hmm. My my oldest is currently reading uh, the Roald Dahl version. Oh, um, yeah. And I think it's it's got that timelessness to it that it's, this is absolutely fine to remake. Because it's funny, I was having a conversation with my wife about the, um, 
the whole point of reboots and why we why we mm. do it is because because you've got like an inbuilt fan base. You know, normally yeah. that's why they do it is because they know it's not yeah. it's not risky. They know someone's going to turn up and watch it. But with Wonka, it's that's not the case. You know, it's not like the fans of the Gene Wilder one are going to suddenly flock to see this one. It's more like, oh, yeah. okay, actually, you're going to release it to a new set yeah. of eyes. Albeit, you know, obviously some people will go see it who've seen all of them. But mm. I think it's absolutely it's cherishable isn't it this kind of film is is that sort of you, you you're gonna want to put that on your list of films to see for the year and yeah you know, absolutely fabulous. there's this sense of sort of it's purity and simplicity that, that's what childhood is and it just takes you back it does take you back but of course kids growing up now as you say they will own this film you and i would probably own the the gene wilder version more yeah because we we identify with that version more closely songs are slightly different as you know, I'm always very keen on, on what, when they add new songs to the soundtrack, what they do with the existing songs. And, you know, I've got no complaints. And I think Neil, getting Neil Hannon from the Divine Comedy to write songs for the soundtrack was also inspired because he has that kind of degree of whim, whimsy about him with the Divine Comedy. That those, his type of song would fit very well for the film. So, you know, it's 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 fine with me. It ticks all the boxes. Can't go wrong, really. Ticks all the boxes. Put that on the poster. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a bit late. There's now, another so one. There's another one. <laughs> well, for our next film, we're zooming across. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, see what I've done. Yeah. Uh, Michael Mann's uh, Ferrari. <clears throat> yes. So, well, look. When you got Michael Mann at the helm, you you kind of know what to expect, don't you? Because this is the man who gave us heat. He directed the Miami Vice TV series, so you know what you're going to get, right? And he doesn't disappoint. It stars Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, Shailene Wood- Woodley. Uh, this is the story of Enzo Ferrari, founder of the legendary motor racing team. It's 1957, and captures him at a pivotal moment in his life. Although they have an advanced Formula One car in development. The company are struggling, and they desperately seek investment. The team will compete in the Mille Mille, a famous endurance race that could make or break them. If that's not enough, his estranged wife, Laura, owns half the company and is standing in the way of a deal being made. His mistress, Lena, is also pressing Enzo to formally recognise their son, Piero. So there's a lot going on. He's a busy <laughs> lad, isn't he? All right. It's a cracking good, good yarn, this. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. Love this. It's a typical Michael Mann film, as I say. Um, pace is really good. Again, it, I think he he, he appreciates um, the approach that Ridley Scott has to films. The pacing's excellent. Gets it just about right. It's not too slow, not too fast. You know, the action sequences are, are brilliant as well. You can almost feel the rubber burning. It just feels so real. Um, it's... It's bright and it's glamorous, as you'd expect from Ferrari. That name Ferrari conjures up glamour, luxury, wealth, doesn't it? It just has that kind of shine about it. And that's what Michael Mann's brought to the screen. Very, very good film again. Very, and as, very a, as a genre, right? So like racing mm. and race cars, they, yeah. it's it's interesting how many good films there are in yeah. that. It's kind of like boxing. You sort of think, why is, why is it that this particular 
sport seem mm. yeah we don't get loads of amazing badminton films do you know what i mean it's no, not strange not yeah not yeah anyway i was gonna say give it time yeah give get michael mann on that but yeah. i think obviously because of the nature of it you know it's kind of like a, a blood sport in some ways you know in terms yeah, of the amount of like, danger yeah. and risk yeah. and things going on and also like you said about the uh the lifestyles and the all the stuff going on behind the cars i think that's the the, the key here um and is this kind of up there with those great racing films, would you say? I would say it is. I mean, if you if you look at a film like, I don't know, Grand Prix, um, going back to the 60s now, but it, but it has that same intensity. It mm. works. I mean, let's compare it to a more more recent uh, motor racing film, Rush, about James. I Hunt. loved Rush. I was hoping yeah. you were going to say Rush. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it compares very well. But in some ways, I prefer Ferrari because... Of it, because it's a because of the period that it's concerned with the 1950s, is a very sort of romantic evocative era. I think the 50s and the 60s have something about them, and so it just kind of edges it because the the design in the 50s and 60s was more it was stylish. It was all about style back then, it, as you say, lifestyle. Still the case now in motor racing. It is that kind of activity, isn't it? That it does attract glamour it attracts the maverick doesn't it because of the nature of what they do and it's also true you know it's also essentially a true story and it keeps broadly to to what happened you know they inject a bit of bit of life into it here and there but you know it's good stuff again came out on boxing day let's just remind listeners came out on boxing day and it will also be streaming very shortly so this film as much, if not more, than Napoleon, you should see on a big screen because because of the action sequences, because of the racing sequences. Because there's something naturally very dramatic about motor racing, you know. And from a director's point of view, it's pretty easy to film, isn't it? You know, it's it's not it's it's not difficult to make it look good. Let's put it that way. Particularly with the sort of engines you're looking at as well. I remember watching Rush um, because I saw it. Uh, preview screening at the All Dolby right. the Dolby Studios, okay. and you can imagine the sound system at the Dolby Studios. My, yeah, I, I remember feeling that film more than I remember watching it. I remember just go, coming away kind of still vibrating, like from yeah. the movie. And it yeah. sounds like this is that kind of experience yeah, it, that you it, want it, to feel that. that. That's a good way of describing it. You you do feel it reverberating, you know, and it it stays it stays with you. But that's that's what a director is trying to do. You know, if a director can hear you and I talking about a film in those terms, they could say job done. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make, they're trying to put you in the driving seat. They're trying to put you next to the driver. Aren't they? That's what they're trying to do. And they do it well. They've done it well. Yeah. Really have. There you go. Ferrari. Um, check it out. Let us know what you think as well on the old mm-hmm. socials at UK film review, pretty much wherever you you go um yeah we are going to james hawes's uh, new film one life starring anthony hopkins 30 seconds to on air okay and you are just here good night said father back now an extraordinary story about a young man who many years ago visited prague what he found there were thousands of refugees at the mercy of Hitler's imminent invasion. Do you 
ever think about the children and what happened to them? I bet you got some stories. That's really not about me. We are working to evacuate these children by train to safety in Britain. Why are you doing this, Mr. Winton? Because I may be able to do something about it. I must. Save them all. Mm. Yes. One Life. Stars Anthony Hopkins, Johnny Flynn, Helena Bonham Carter, Ramallah Garai. The film of the month for me. And oh. there's a, yeah, there's a pretty wide choice here. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, because they're all great. Well, the four films that we've looked at in general release here are all excellent, right? And they're all worth going out to the cinema to watch. Is it is it because it's award season, do you think? Is that typically what happens yeah, in this bit? Well, it could be, yeah. I guess so. It's the right time because they're catching the Golden Globes, aren't they? And the Oscars nominations have just been out. It's kind of, they've timed it right in that way, haven't they? Let's, let's put it that way. But yeah, for me, the film of the month, and as I say, I mean, set against stiff competition, the films we've just been talking about, you know, that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? I guess. Definitely. This is the story of Nicholas Winton, our very own Oscar Schindler who organised the rescue of mainly Jewish children from the Czech Republic, just as war was breaking out. The story's told in flashback. Johnny Flynn plays Winston as a young man, while Stanley Hopkins plays him in later years. It's, it's shocking and it's inspiring. An amazing man who had real humility. In spite of his achievements, he still felt he should have done more. It's a fabulous film. You know, you just, you know, when you watch a film, you get totally immersed in it. It's that kind of film. You really get lost. You know, the tagline for for movies today is get lost in a great film. You do exactly that here. You get lost in a great film. What I think is quite clever, what James Hawes has done with the uh, storyline, the narrative, he split it into two sections, past and present. But present, of course, is in the late 80s. Past is in 1938 or 1939. But even though those two stories quite easily stand alone, they're kind of they're they're interlinked, obviously. But they're standalone stories within one narrative, if that makes sense. But it works really well, and it's it's disturbing, it's harrowing. What is quite clever about it is that we know it's a you know I could, I was going to say it's a Holocaust film, but it's not really about the Holocaust. It's something that preceded the Holocaust and tried to combat the effects of Nazi ideology, Nazi doctrine. So it's kind of came before. But all those things that you think of about films being thought-provoking, inspiring, heartwarming, you know, it, it's the best of human nature coming out here. And also the worst when you look at the way refugees were being treated just before the invasion of the Czech Republic happened. So you see the best and the worst of human nature. Um, it's fascinating that stories are still coming out as well like you know in terms of you we talked earlier about uh, napoleon you could make Mm. so many films about that one man yeah and that you know that waterloo had just like one film and there's probably more films that could be done that we're still getting so much out of world war ii and uh, a conflict that's not that old yeah but we're still getting so much and i think there's this um sense that it's still so rooted 
in who we are and and, and where we find ourselves in the world right now that I think it's still so applicable as well. And I, I think it's great that they're ch- championing these these stories. Yeah. You know, for you to make it film of the month, it must have been pretty good, you know, up against Napoleon. You yeah, think, I know. It's, it's, it must be very good. I think yeah. it's, it's great to shine a light on something yeah. like this because it feels like it needs to be seen. Yeah, uh, it's it's an amazing film. But I mean, what you just mentioned there about, you know, sources of filmmaking, source material, you would have thought at one time that World War Two would have been exhausted as a, a genre, a topic. But there's always a new story to tell. There are stories out there that haven't been told. There are stories that have been told and been forgotten or not made into a film. So there's so much out there we can still make. And, you know, as sadly World War II begins to slip from living memory, which it inevitably will as the years, years roll by, and that's the saddest thing, isn't it? That it will slip from living memory, but it makes it even more important to shine a light on stories that we might not be familiar with. And that there is an aspect of the Second World War that we still haven't examined or explored. There's always something new there, you know? And this, you know, this precipitated war because it was just before the Germans invaded the Czech Republic and invaded Poland. So it's just as war was breaking out. So that's before the war started, you could say, just as it was starting. So there is so much there to look at. It's a rich source material. War, sadly, wars will always be with us, but it, it gives filmmakers a rich source of material. I think we would have to admit that, wouldn't we? Absolutely. And that's um, just Brian's pick of the month. And it's the final film that we're reviewing in the cinema section. It's called One Life. So if you're listening to this as of when it's released or nearby, then it may still be in cinemas. So please go see it. But if not, then maybe you're listening in the future um, and check it out wherever you can. I'm sure it's going to be on one of the big streaming platforms. Yes. We are now going to our streaming pick actually for the month uh so this is where we review a film that has been on a um streaming platform and available to people this month is on an amazon prime uh, movie called Saltburn, mm. um written and directed by emerald fennel who we reviewed her film promising young woman didn't we do you remember that a while back we yes. did a carrie mulligan yeah, carrie special mulligan. Yeah. yeah who actually makes a little appearance in this does. um and yeah, it was interesting when I saw this popping up on social media. There was a lot of talk about it. It's still kind of doing the rounds. A lot of people, hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of memes and there's a lot of uh, chatter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the story is uh, your know, character uh, played by Barry Keegan. Um, his name's Oliver. Goes to Oxford University, but he's quite um, isolated. He comes from a fairly uh, modest background and mm. the people that he seems to surround, you know, find himself amongst are not from modest backgrounds and mm. essentially struggles to fit in. Um, then he befriends uh, through an act of kindness, um, a well-off character called uh, Felix played by Jacob Lordy. And from there, their friendship kind of grows and blossoms and Oliver finds himself ingratiated into the world of Felix. Um, and the title of the film, Saltburn, refers to this huge manor that Felix lives at. And mm. um, our protagonist, Oliver, comes to stay 
and all manner of things kind of go on from there. It's a very hard film to describe without giving loads of know, really cool stuff away. So it's I'm going to leave yeah. it there. Yeah. Um, the only thing I will also say is that Richard E. Grant is in this film and any film with Richard E. Grant is always, always, always worth your time. I'm sorry, just that is a rule. And <laughs> That's the rule. I, did, I don't make up the rules. That is I a know. rule. It is um, and also, like, so he plays Felix's dad, and then uh, Rosamund Pike plays his mum, and just the yeah. two of them. I could just watch them forever. Um, what do you think of Saltburn, Brian? I liked it. I liked it. It's good, I, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I preferred this to Promising Young Woman. Now we we know Emerald Fennell. It's only her second film. She co-wrote and directed uh, Killing Eve. That's that's the TV series, but. So she doesn't have much of a repertoire to sort of compare films together. But I would have to, that'd be the first thing I say is that it, I think it's better than Promising a Woman. As good as that was, I prefer this more. It, it's more dynamic. You know, yeah, the, yeah. And it's, it's unexpected, Chris. You know, you, just when you think you've got the film sussed out and you know where it's going, it kind of smacks you in the face, this film. And you think, oh, right, okay. And it, it's, it's not what you expect at all. But it, it, the first half of the film feels like a fairly typical uh, story of wealth, privilege, envy, the fish out of water, you know, um, Ollie's the, the working class kid from Liverpool, isn't he? Goes down to Oxford and he's befriended by the, the college pinup boy, Felix, who happens to be uh, st- stinking filthy rich or from a stinking filthy <laughs> rich family who just happened to own, have a castle uh, knocking around so on that basis you think oh okay i know where this is going but it i like films that genuinely surprise you and i was surprised by this because it it didn't it didn't go the way i thought it was going to go at all and i like that i like to be surprised by a film and emerald fennel you know here i can see she's got real ability you know the way she can capture a mood an atmosphere you know that sense of discomfort that Ollie feels being in the company of people that live in a different world, literally, and how he gradually uh, becomes accustomed to that world, shall we say. So I, th- I thought it was really, really good. I like the ca- great cast. Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant, they, they look and sound like a married couple, don't they? <laughs> you know, they're that kind of rapport they've got straight away. Kerry Mulligan's cameo was really good. And the two leading actors, um, Jacob Elordi and Barry Keon, both very good. It's utterly convincing. Um, yeah, it's a very good film. I'm surprised that it went straight to Netflix as well. Uh, Prime was it? Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Prime. I beg your pardon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know, but you're right. It it, did, it felt kind of cinema worthy. Yeah. But I think yeah, you, know, you probably already touched on this in terms of it's emerald Fennell's second film and whilst promising young woman was very kind of critically acclaimed i don't know about the the, the figures of that but she is still fairly untested you know in terms of box mm-hmm. office returns yeah. so and and because of the way that the movie business is going i don't think it's that uncommon now for films to end up straight on um a, a platform like prime because i think they probably go in and say look you know make us a film and, you know here's mm-hmm. a bunch of money and you know, yeah. great they're gonna go do it and a hundred percent agree with you. I think this is a stronger film than Promising a Woman, which I love. I thought it was a great film. Yeah. I think with that movie, it was it was very um, uh, what's the word? Kind of 
frenetic. There was so much energy in that film that yeah. it, it felt with this with Saltburn. It feels a lot more controlled. It yeah. seems to be from it's a measured. filmmaker. Yeah, it's more measured. They, it's she measured. knows what she's doing here. Not that she didn't know what she's doing, but she, it feels more yeah, so yeah. here. More yeah. controlled. More kind of like she, she's really got us by the the hook of our the nape of our neck or whatever. She's she's got us really here under her thumb, and we know that we are on this journey, whether we like it or not, and we're going to get to the end of this. Whereas I think with Promising a Woman, it was a bit more um, instant. There was a bit more kind yeah. of like, you could sit back from that film. Um, I think it's a film that does rely heavily on the cast as well. Yeah. Great cast, but there's a yeah. lot of like eccentric characters and interesting people that really keeps the buzz going yeah. um, because it's got that kind of gothic storyline behind it yeah. that could get lost if you didn't have the sort of light and fun side of it as well. You know, if it was mm. sort of, if it was going more into that, it, it doesn't jump so deep into the dark stuff and the heavy mm. stuff until it needs to, that you, you know, it's an enjoyable film for the majority of it. Um, then there's bits that are kind of more distressing, mm. shall we say. Yeah. yeah um, more alarming. Yeah. yeah. Try not to give anything away. Cause yeah. I think you I definitely don't want to, you don't want to know what happens until you see it. I think we've done really well. at not giving anything away. I think we've given them a, a pretty good overview with Emerald right. Fennel. I think what helps with this particular film, I think she's relating uh, a world that she, she was part of that she understands because she went to Oxford or she went to the, one of the Oxbridge universities. And I think she understands, uh, uh, these characters very well because you know look you sit down and write any any particular character it's going to be based on someone you know or someone you're familiar with and i think what makes this film stronger is that she's writing about not characters that she's actually met but people that are of a similar background and i think that makes the film stronger because they always say write about what you know and yeah. I think there's an element here of that, and that's what makes the film stronger because Emerald Fennel is writing about things that she understands. So, and that helps, helps a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I-, I felt that too when I was watching. It. I was like, this. First off, it felt like someone who enjoys literature. Like it felt yeah. like someone who knows literature, and then someone yeah. that yeah, who had experienced this life to some degree and wanted to make a kind of comment about it and there's a a lovely sort of deliciousness to it all because both sides of the coin are being sort of presented Mm. for you and and not in any kind of way for us to sort of pass judgment and when things start to happen you kind of go oh wow i didn't expect that so it's not like i say it's not going in the direction you think it's going but it certainly has that founding of something that you feel familiar with yeah um but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was no. great. Um, yeah. It's kind of compulsive viewing. Like you're watching it, you kind of go, oh, do you know what? <laughs> I'm definitely going to finish this. I need to watch the rest of this. I need to know, know. what's going to happen. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. It's, it's that kind of film. It, it draws you in, which is what a film is supposed to do. It's to make you curious. You know, the I always say the first half an hour of a film is vital because that hooks you in, draws you in. They introduce you to the main characters. You think, oh, that's interesting. I've got to, I've got to stick with this. And that's what filmmaking is about really it's making you curious there you go so Saltburn um, check it out on Amazon Prime let us know what you thought that's our streaming pick for the month and now we're going to head to our indie films so these are films that filmmakers have sent to us to have 
reviewed. And we're going to start with a feature length. Uh, I'm going to play a little clip. Hopefully, it's going to work, Brian. Let me know if you don't hear this. Um, little clip uh, from the Fez Belcher Show. Richie! It's me, Fez! Fez Belcher? Oh, you used to come see my shows back in the 80s, man. Oh, come on. CBGB's The Mud Club, Max's Kansas City... I'm using the Honest Aids, remember? Oh, yeah, sure. Dude, you were our biggest fan. <laughs> oh, man, I gotta tell you, I saw a lot of bands back in the day. The Honest Aids? Yeah, man. You had a girlfriend, um, Sarah. Binhead, spiked hair, four foot six. Oh, man, I haven't seen her in 30 years. How's she doing? I don't know, man. She was your girlfriend. Last time I saw her, I think Reagan was testifying at Iran-Contra. You guys used to be dead center in the mosh pit. You followed me home from the show one night, remember? We, we did? Yeah. What, am I lying? So, uh, written and directed by Lindley Farley. Did you want to give the synopsis on this one, Brian? Yeah, sure. So we have the story of how a punk rocker became a legend. Fez Belcher, she has a home with a ventriloquist, and part-time detective, a lawyer's daughter, and a martial arts expert. His first and only hit album was Blizzard of Pain. He's now looking to relaunch his recording career. He has 200 new songs, and this film follows his exploits to get an album made, play live, and secure proper representation. But it doesn't run smooth, does it? Let's let's say that much. <laughs> great fun. Absolutely great fun. Brilliant fun. That clip we just heard, I think, was one of the funniest moments in the film because for Fez, it's about recognition, isn't it? It's about people remembering who he was and what he did. And there he's come up against someone who he thought was his biggest fan. He was trying to deny that he ever was a fan. Oh, I don't remember, man. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> as your girlfriend oh, what? you know I love that I love that kind of that refusal to admit he was a fan because obviously um, Fez knows it's him but he, he he's left it behind now he doesn't want to remember uh, what's what's passed by in his life and straight after that a, a real fan an actual fan turns up and he ignores him because he's still <laughs> more concerned about this other guy who won't remember him I, I just like that kind of screwball whack, slightly wacky almost desperate need to be to be recognized by someone you write yourself. But he just kind of overlooks the real fans that are just behind him. Um, I like that. I I think it I think it was really, really good. Um, likeable characters. I was really impressed by the casting as well. I mean what I what I often feel with with indie films is that they will often get somebody off the street to play a role. Not that I think I would say there's anything wrong with that at all. I love the spontaneity of it. But all the actors are really solid. They're really convincing in the role. You can tell they've done it before, and I think that's a big help. For me, the only downside was the, the running length of the film. Now, I know I often go on about the uh, running length of a film, but, excuse me a moment. Oh, there. Just uh, <laughs> fill in while Brian coughs his guts up. Because- 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Because it's very important that he can do that in peace. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh. You know you know when a, a cough just spreads and you try and swallow it and it... Uh, anyway, do you want to leave a gap there? Nah, nah. I think, you know, we're talking about a screwable comedy and we're, it's rough and ready. I think the, I think yeah. the listeners need to hear you cough. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad. Of, I'm glad of that. Sorry, listeners. Um, yeah, I think, look, I was talking about the running, running length of the film. Now, I often mention it, I know, um, and I hate to be tiresome about this, but I think it's essential to the viewing experience. This film was just run at just over two hours. I think that's a bit long for a film like this. I think it would have filled 90 minutes perfectly. But that extra half an hour, you know, the longer a film goes on, the more we should expect from the film. It should give us a bit more. But I don't think that extra half an hour really took it any further, personally. But otherwise, really good, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think you're right um, in terms of, the cast all sort of knew the assignment. I like that. I really enjoyed the the use of locations. Um, mm. there, was, there was a lot of locations and I always find that really ambitious with indie filmmakers to sort of say, do you know what? Like we're going to, we're going to go out and about and shoot all these different scenes, all these different places. And I really felt like I got to see New York. Like that was great. I was kind of yeah. just enjoying to see yeah, all these different random it, places yeah. Um, yeah. off the beaten track kind of thing. Um, I think the, the premise of the film worked really well i was very happy with like the, the fez belcher rock and roll star you know who's kind of struggling in life i, I was really on board with that I, I don't want to give it away but something happens later in the film that absolutely derails the whole thing for me yeah. um and yeah, i'm not gonna you, you know what i mean, I know what I'm, not, mean yeah. I'm not and that also ties into the running length because it yeah. didn't need to happen but i think that was a complete misstep because i was i was watching the rest of it just going Okay, like, <laughs> all right, yeah. fine. Uh, I was I was pretty yeah. invested, but now I'm not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, that plus there weren't. Uh, it wasn't the best quality film in terms of like the sound and stuff. Like, there was some yeah. issues with the sound quality stuff. Yeah. That I think when you are making a film, you have to think about the the resources and what you've got mm-hmm. to put on a film that's not gonna you know, really really stretch you so thin that it starts to become kind of a problem. That you. Know, had they gone for more of a, you know, like you say, a, a one thirty kind of film, mm. could that budget have been, you know, saved and put towards something else? I don't know. It just, there's a few things there that um, I think are lessons for the next film. You know, it's like, look, do you know what? We've got to make sure we make the film that is going to work. It's going to look great, sound great. Cause it's all very important. 
but the story up to a certain point was very good very int- i love the way that all these characters just seem to be conning each other they're all kind of like yeah. going, oh yeah. you owe me money no you no. owe me money yeah, yeah. it's like all yeah. this little and like you say it's that screwball comedy feel yeah. of like you know, you're just thrown into these yeah. uh oddball characters and and you're making your way through and i have a great affinity for any character that's like a musician i really do that mm-hmm. I felt some of his pain, like, you know, I, they yeah. go to a gig and he gets like $10 and he's like, mm. it cost me $15 to get here. It was just yeah. like, you know, that kind well, of feel. Loved that, it. Yeah. That scene when they were trying to find their way back, they said, oh, the trains aren't running. We should have checked this. And yeah. it's not very rock and roll, is it really? When you've missed the last train home. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more kind of authentic. I think there's yeah. a lot of that yeah. uh, you know, authenticity yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, but I do think slightly ambitious, to make such a long film, it needed a, a much harsher edit, and I do think the they should have addressed some of the filmmaking qualities mm. um, where possible. Especially a film that you're, you're talking about a musician, and that you know, you're not recording the, the sound of the dialogue very well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like I'm being negative on it, but I did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. I just. Yeah. There was a bit disappointed when something happens, and I was like, "Oh, that's sort of spoiled." If we, I think right. that's why I then started to pick up on the other things because yeah. I was like, "Oh, oh, I'm not so into the storyline now yeah. that I'm sort of nitpicking." If you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It it, it tends to highlight other 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 areas of the film that you might not have thought about. So that's just the the way you, you look at something, isn't it? It kind of it opens up something up, and you think, "Oh no, that has yeah." Uh, it it did kind of bring it down a bit, but a great idea though, a great idea that works up to a point. A great performance by uh, Gregory Adair, who plays the the lead character. Yeah. I thought he was great. Um, yeah. So yeah, shout out to the to the filmmakers there. If you haven't already, go and read Jason's review. Um, he reviewed it uh, back in Jan, earlier Jan, and yeah, um, he's got some great things to say about it as well. And on that review, you'll see the trailer and there's a trailer for Mm. it. So I definitely recommend checking out because that's something you can then sort of see if it is to your taste and is Mm. something that you want to seek out. Mm. Um, So that was the Fez Belcher show. Moving now to a short film called Room 20, directed and written by Anthony Riak. Um, we have a clip. This isn't a dialogued film, uh, but the clip no. we've received gives you a nice sense of the film because it's the oh. score. It was from the trailer originally. I think it's worth playing just to give you mm. that that sense and that vibe. So uh, here we go. There's a clip from Room 20. So, Room 20, um, and Brian, you actually reviewed this on the website, I believe. I, I did, yes, yes, I did. So, I think it's best if you give us the synopsis on this one. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, of course, and it's it's a very lean 9 minutes 50 seconds, but packs a fair amount of detail in with minimal dialogue, as we just mentioned. So, the hero of the piece is a man with no name, but with designer stubble, a poncho and a fedora hat. He gives off a distinct Clint Eastwood vibe. 
in spaghetti western mode which got me hooked straight away i love that yeah. image that look he had so he begins a journey of self-discovery and steps through the door to room 20 we are treated to a visually arresting narrative that feels like the most vivid of dreams the film opens with a lonely walk through a bleak landscape which will be familiar to many people i'm sure we've all had a dream like that in the past with the emphasis on time our hero searches and finds room 20 but what is behind the door? The result is sometimes confusing, but ultimately a fulfilling experience. Our hero is on a journey and he's constantly checking his watch. We have lots of great imagery that focuses on time. And there's one particular scene that I think was brilliantly captured where a clock face just melts. It's beautiful the way it's done. Um, Room 20 throws all kinds of possibilities at the viewer who must draw their own conclusions, really, from this. The style of animation is unashamedly nostalgic and doesn't seem to rely on CGI too much, which is a pleasant change. I really enjoyed it. And a big shout-out to not only to the director and writer, but also to the animation director, Aaron Mark Brown, because this is my kind of animation. It's it's beautiful and it's, it's real and it breathes more and it's not so clinical as we so often get with animation these days. But very, very good. Very impressed by it. Yeah, I loved in your review, you mentioned about that kind of, you know, what audiences are used to now with animation, like it becoming so clean, like it's yeah. so uh, high powered that it sort of becomes, yeah, clinical. It does remove yeah. that emotional connection i think which yeah. older animations still have that heart they still have that feeling behind it not to say that modern animation isn't amazing and brilliant it is no, it really is not, right. but there is such a place for this kind of nostalgic uh animation where it's pulling on stuff in a different way and it's presenting you the visuals in a way as well that's a bit more it's making your mind work a bit more because mm. i think there's this tendency with animators to try and go for super realism so that it feels as real as possible mm. whereas animation is its own art form that it's yeah. okay for it to be different it's okay for it to not look exactly like the thing it's portraying in real yeah. life that with this yeah you really got that sense of you're on this like odyssey this journey because it was doing that to your mind it was giving you mm. these visuals in a way like there's a bit where he's like uh feeding uh, sorry giving water to this like animal and it just felt ethereal. It felt like, yeah. oh, what, what am I watching right now? It, I know, it, you, I know. it created this calmness inside you. Yeah. And I thought it was very impressive. Uh, yeah. Visually, very impressive. And also, I thought the storyline was also, once you start to consider it, it mm. was quite powerful. It was like, oh, yeah. I'm uh, you know, contemplate all different aspects of life and different yeah, things know. You know, that you're, yeah. you're gonna going to come across. And yeah, really impressive surprisingly deep and it and it's it's beautiful i mean what you just mentioned there about uh animation some animation being so good it looks like the real thing doesn't that defeat the objects of animation yeah the idea of animation is, is interpretational isn't it is to have a representation of a man a woman a child an animal whatever but it's through that creative person's lens it's the way they see something or someone so that, to me, is proper animation. That's real animation. And, you know, yeah, top marks. It's really good. It's very well done. And as I say, it's my, my kind of animation. Um, I like to imagine someone pouring over every frame 
that's what I think. I think about that when films are being made in general, but particularly so w- with animation because the, creator, the, the creators, the directors and the, the writers are having to really use their imagination and they're having to try that much harder as a result. And that's what I really like about this. Do you think this is the kind of film that, you know, when we did the, when we did the festival, yeah. that it would have been, you know, a contender? Is that the sort of film that would have stood out to you that you would have picked out? Yeah, I think I would have picked it out. I think it would stand out for the reasons we've just discussed, because it's old-fashioned, you know. And, you know, whilst um, we know modern technology in in film can enhance and transform a story, but it can also detract from the story as well. If you go back to something a bit more fundamental and a bit more basic, that stands out. So if that had had been in the festival, I would have picked that out easily. It would have stood out for me, and it doesn't yeah. get, get overly carried away with, with with dialogue either. There's not a lot of dialogue, to, much dialogue to speak of, is there? Really? Yeah, and it kind of that sense makes it more um, universal, doesn't it? I think there's that appeal with a film like yeah. this that it can really reach a lot of audiences, and I could see you know platforms picking this up because it's mm. it's got that universality to it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, if you wanted to know more about Room 20, they do have a few socials. So on Facebook, it's uh, at Official Room 20, all one word. Um, and on Instagram, Official underscore Room 20. Uh, and also, uh, we mentioned uh, the Fez Belcher Show, the feature-length mm. film. They have a Facebook page, uh, so at the, Fel- the Fez Belcher Show, sorry, all one word. Um if you can't find it or, or want to know more, do get in touch with us. Um, if you haven't already Googled, I would ask if you could just Google it first, you know, uh, yeah. before you get in touch, uh, yeah. if that's okay. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, those are the two reviews we're doing. Um, so thank you very much to the filmmakers who send us their mm. films. Uh, it's always an honour to, mm. to check them out and to hopefully shine a bit of a light on them. Um, one film we shined a light on last year was The One Note Man, and um, they have been long-listed, I think is the phrase, oh. um, for uh, an Oscar for Best oh, Short fantastic. Film. As well as short-listed, I believe is also the phrase, uh-huh. for a BAFTA. Um, oh. So very privileged to have seen this last year and yeah. wishing the guys all the best. Yeah. Um, but I was able to catch up with the writer-director, George Sugas. Um, I had to ask him his name, which you'll hear in the interview if you watch it. Um, and also uh, Michael Stevenson, who's the producer on the movie. Um, Brian's not going to hear the interview right now, by the way. I'm just going to slot it in later. But he'll go away and watch it, won't you, Brian? You'll go and watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, very um, impressed by this film. Both of us were. And, yeah. Um, yeah really wishing the guys the best of luck mm. with the award season but yes here's a a clip from the interview the full interview is available on our youtube channel um but this is a a, a portion of that interview hello and welcome to this very special episode of the uk film review podcast uh this is a filmmaker interview and not only am I enjoyed by one filmmaker, I'm joined by two. Uh, a film we reviewed last year, The One Note Man. You may have read my review on the website. It was very glowing. Me and Brian had lots of positive things to say about it. So when we were asked to see if we wanted to chat to the guys, we were very, very happy. So 
I have some questions from Brian. Uh, he he WhatsApp me this morning a couple of uh, questions. One of the first ones was how to pronounce your surname, George. By the way, was like yeah. Look. Everybody asked that question. Don't worry. <laughs> Mike learned how to pronounce it two days ago, and I've known him for three years. <laughs> is it that one where you're kind of just a bit too afraid to ask like it's gone on yeah. too long now you're like yeah. oh it's I gonna be had to say look enough man look let's just <laughs> let's just talk about this i just went with i always went with the first variation that someone gave me and it, and it stuck so <laughs> <laughs> i feel that as we've got you on the uh podcast george it'd be great for you to give us the what what's the official synopsis when you tell someone you've made a film because you're the writer director right what how do you describe this film when you describe the plot? Love at first note is is I think the briefest synopsis I can I can give. Uh, the plot is uh, uh, it's about a musician who lives uh, a very ordered and admired life, and um, he loves his routine and he does things a very certain way, and he just lives his life down a very safe path. And this musician's job is to play one note at the orchestra. And so that's the central idea. And this idea um, came to me from a 1921 illustration by H.M. Bateman titled The One Note Man. And it just sparked a lot of questions about this guy. Why does he play one note? Is he depressed? Is he happy? As, is, has he, is he going through loss? Well, obviously he can play more notes, but is it his choice? So I think we make films to ask questions and not necessarily to answer them. And the, the main question the film asks is if, if you are comfortable in your routine in your life and it does get interrupted, what do you do? Do you, how do you handle that change? Do you step into the unknown and you you know, live a life of uncertainty and face the dangers, the perils of this uncharted territory? Or do you fold back to your comfort zone? And so the fabulous Jason Watkins plays the, the character who is credited as One Note Man, right? You didn't give him a, a name. Was there a kind of clear brief that you gave to Jason so that this is what I think this character is, or, or was there more of like his interpretation of it? I'm never too quick to um, talk too much to actors, especially an actor of Jason's caliber, because I'm scared I might mess it up. I, I really want to see what the actor will bring to the table. So with, with Jason, of course, because he's such a, an incredible actor and in such control of his craft, using his entire body, as all great actors should do, to communicate the script, not only his face. It was literally a, a, a matter of fine-tuning. Of course, we discussed the, the thing, and my, my job as a writer, because I wrote this also, I'm not just directing it, I wrote it, is to present the actor with intention. So my goal while writing it was for that intention to be crystal clear on the page. And then it's the actor's job to interpret that. So with Jason, it was just a joy to see this character come to life. And, you know, he's, he's just phenomenal. He was able to communicate every single um, part of uh, this, uh, this, this character and this story 25 
times every second, 25 frames a second. And it was just a miracle to watch and to work with. He's such a lovely man also, very generous, very open. It's a fabulous performance. And I think one of the questions that we, me and Brian both had, and maybe, maybe Michael, you know about this, how did the casting happen? I mean, what, how did you get this caliber of talent? Because not only obviously you've got Jason, you've got Paul Barber in there and Ian McKellen doing the narration. Do you guys know these people? Do they owe you favors? Like what's happening? How did you get them in there? I think, I think with, with all these uh, sort of little indie, indie projects, you can spend years trying to get them off the ground and then all of a sudden somebody one person bites and the rest sort of starts to snowball and fall into place and I think definitely what happened for us is that before I came on board George had um, approached Stephen Warbeck about composing the music because the music is obviously such a central part of the, the the project so it was essential that we had the right composer on right at the beginning and thankfully George had already done that spade work and, and Stephen had fallen in love with the script and, and really wanted in. So he'd already uh, given his um, his backing of the film and that he was going to compose it. And then once you've got somebody a name like Stephen's attached to it as a, as a Academy Award winning composer, uh, we found that especially in Jason's uh, case, that when we sent him the pitch and the script, not only did he love the script, but he uh, it, it was very apparent to him that if Stephen Warbeck was attached to it, then it was definitely something he needed to listen to and consider. Because he'd worked with, I think he'd worked with Stephen many years ago um, in, in London. And so they've, you know, they've known each other for a while on and off. Um, so he, he, yeah, he he was very taken by the idea that J- uh, Stephen was attached, and then of course when you get Jason attached, then other people start to listen as well. So I think we, it was incredible, really, how how many um, how many times we we got our first choice, and I think that's all simply because we started at the top. We got Stephen attached, Jason then listened, Paul Barber wanted in, um, and and the rest went from there. But it's interesting how Mike includes Stephen in this question about casting, because the right musician, the choice of the right musician was as important as the choice of the right actor, because the music is the third character in this film. So that was a super, super important moment, uh, you know, having Stephen come on board. Absolutely. But then and, Louisa, I knew from Emmerdale, I'd worked with Louisa before, and she could play the violin, which was very important to me. I wanted that um, level of authenticity. I didn't want audiences to go, ah, they're not really playing. I can see them. You know, <laughs> people who know music or who can read music, who can play music, like yourself, I didn't want, I want them to feel that they're watching the real thing, which they are. Everybody's playing for real. Even Jason, who learned to play the violin, the, uh, the bassoon, his one note, of course, <laughs> and his and his solo in the end. He's actually the sound that's coming out of the bassoon isn't Jason's, but he is miming everything uh, perfectly. We had a bassoon expert on set who said, "This is I totally buy this. He's playing." So that's just testament to how amazing uh, Jason was. Uh, Louisa could play the violin, and Crystal, you who plays the conductor. Um, also one of my favorite characters in the piece. She's terrific. She's so terrific. good. <laughs> Based, you know, one of my favorite movies is Fantasia, Disney's Fantasia. And uh, she's very much inspired by the wizard 
in that Mickey Mouse sketch <laughs> yeah. with when yeah. he's carrying the with the broomsticks and he's carrying the uh, the water and he's the wit she's the wizard really uh, version of Fantasia in this film and like a like a scolding parent <laughs> you know she tells she tells him off so many times but then when she realizes that you know he's got guts and he just needs a bit of help. There she is. So it's divine intervention, really, which is a uh, very ancient Greek, very Greek uh, ancient drama. One of the things I was wondering, and Brian asked as well, was what was the rehearsals for this like? Uh, was there a lot, uh, or was it kind of quite, quite quick? Yeah, there was some. There was a day of rehearsals for the orchestral piece, the orchestral section of the film in the theater. And it was more to do, it was more technical than performance based. So it was more about Crystal working with the uh, conductor who was uh, with her, a real, a, a, a real conductor who was uh, teaching her how to, how to do it realistically and well. It was more about um, pacing and beats and all that just familiarizing ourselves with the music and the timing of it because timing is important anyway in anything we we direct and we make but uh, so much more in this because there's music involved and music is all about time rehearsal had more to do with that and also it enabled me to see to find some shots because I had a shot plan. I storyboarded the whole movie and I had a shot, shot plan for the, that first reveal of the one up man. I conceal his face up until the, the moment he plays the one note, just like Indiana Jones. <laughs> a great, a great trick learned from uh, Steven Spielberg. And so that was more, that was more to do with uh, me uh, discovering some shots like that reveal that, uh, that boom down with the camera booms down, reveals his face from the note to, to him. So it was more like that rather than performance. No, otherwise, no, we, uh, we discovered everything, which is how I love to work anyway. I don't like rehearse. I don't like rehearsing too much anyway. You know, it's uh, about casting the right people and then uh, let's go to work. I definitely have to pay tribute as well to the orchestra. Like the rehearsal process that we had was specifically for Louisa, Crystal and Jason. So it was just the three of them in a room. But what was what was amazing is that because we had... Uh, real musicians on stage as for the orchestra they're an incredible <laughs> incredible bunch of people musicians who can just look at a piece of paper and start playing and re re you know rehearsals for an actor that that can that can often take time in terms of how when we, how we find the scene and all, all that nonsense um musicians can just do it they just look at a piece of paper and for I don't know it still baffles me to this day but how, you know within within seconds they all start playing this one piece of music. so in terms of rehearsals in they 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 were really um accommodating of the fact that Jason was playing the bassoon part of the, of the of the piece and what have you uh, and they were just brilliant to work with, weren't they? But you, it, that was one element. You kind of just, you felt in safe hands. You knew at any point they could pick up from a certain point and, and, and it would all just happen. It was brilliant. But Chris, also to see, uh, picking up from what Mike said, to see Stephen work with his orchestra while we were recording that piece, which we used to play back, film the orchestral pieces in theater. He we pre-recorded that but you used before the shoot and watching him work with his musicians and really work with them as if he's a director 
talking to them about what he wants to feel from their from their musical performance was such an eye-opening moment for me. It was marvelous to watch. So wonderful to hear uh, from the one night man, yeah. uh, writer, director, and producer there. So moving on, lastly, to our nostalgia pick. Um, yeah. So I picked this because of its relevance uh, with our upcoming release of June Part 2, mm. um, which stars our, our Wonka, doesn't it? It's got our Wonka in it. Oh, yeah, Timothy Chalamet, yeah. Timothy Chalamet, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to tie it all together. Yeah. <laughs> um, well so, done, I hadn't I thought of that. Well, it only just came to me, if I'm honest. Oh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so June Part 2 is out um, in February, I believe. I, it keeps moving, I think, because there's been writer strikes and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I watched the original, sorry, the, the first part last year, and I really enjoyed it, which made me then think, let me go back and watch the 80s version mm. um, from filmmaker David Lynch. I was going to say you know, uh, legendary, but I have a troubled history with Lynch, if I'm I honest. Um, I he's too, actually. Yeah. yeah, he's not one of my favorite directors, and I say that with a heavy heart because I... I know a lot of people absolutely adore his films and I have seen some good ones. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a great, he's a very, very interesting filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but as this proves, <laughs> June 1984, I don't think he's uh, you know, impervious to a, a mishit, a misfire. Um, but I think it was worth going back to a film like this. It gave us a reason to go and check it out. Uh, so it was again on Amazon Prime, I believe. Yeah. Um at the time when we watched it anyway, uh, 1984, June, and starring a very young Carl McClacken, which was, was, the, was yeah. great to see him there. I, I do yeah. love a bit of McClacken. Um, had you seen this before, Brian? I I have seen it once, but I, I think that was it. I, I didn't go out and see it when it was out because it came out in 84. It's not the film I would have gone out and seen at the cinema. But I probably would have got it out on video. Do you remember those things, videos? <laughs> I loved videos. They were yeah, great. Yeah, sure. Sorry, side note, but my dad used to have a VHS of Dracula and it was oh. in a coffin. The actual tape was kept in a coffin. Was case. it? <laughs> That's what I miss about movies. They were so much fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's, it has lost something as time's roll, rolled on, you know, but yeah. times change, I guess, don't they, really? But so, yeah, I can. I, I'm fairly certain I would have seen it on on VCR on video video hire as it used to be be then, but I've not seen it since. So this is a bit like watching it for the first time. But like you, I saw um, the Dennis Villeneuve version with Timothy Timothy Chalamet, in which I really liked. Yeah, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed part yeah. one. Yeah, but I think the the uh, the 1984 version was not good. Not no. good. I'm glad all. you said that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I mean the, I mean the Frank Herbert no- novel is what it is. You see, it, but June is the type of story that that's great and contained within in a novel because you use your imagination when you're reading a book. On film, you you kind of lo- it loses something, you know, um, and to have a fantastic cast as well you know apart from Carl McLachlan you had Jose Ferrer Sean Phillips Francesca Annes Jürgen Prochnow Virginia Madsen Patrick Stewart Freddie Jones 
Dean Stockwell, Sean Young, and Sting was in it as well. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you've got all these big players, heavyweight actors. You think, why did, why did they get involved with this project? I only hope they were well paid, Chris. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, I only hope they didn't take a, a cut of uh, box office receipts. That would have been even worse. Because it lost 10 million, didn't it? At the, uh, at the mm. box office. But, I mean, you think about the story, though. The storyline itself, right? So, what can we say about June, the storyline itself? Set many years in the future. Human beings are now living on new planets, aren't they? An all-powerful emperor rules over several noble noble houses. Each one occupies a different planet. And all are vying for their share of power in the universe. Poor Atreides, played by Karl McLachlan, rises to lead a desert army in a battle for control of a valuable spice, which apparently is the key to the universe. One of the reasons I think this version of the film suffered uh, is because of its proximity to Star Wars. In AC4, Star Wars were in the middle of a, a golden run, weren't they really, when the first couple of films had already come out. And many scenes were similar. When I was watching, I thought, that reminds me a bit of Star Wars. I thought that, yeah. But it wasn't as good. Nowhere near as good. And there is apparently a thriving online discussion about what's the best tune. The David Lynch version or the Dennis Villeneuve version. But I'd take Dennis Villeneuve's any day because it's a more serious take on the story. It feels a bit more like Game of Thrones because that's what it's about. It's about power. It's a power play. David Lynch's version seemed silly and self-indulgent to me. Yeah, you've yeah. nailed it there. Silly and self-indulgent felt you know, very, just... very... With the scenes that they they just felt weird at times for the, for the sake of it and the characters just started to become kind of pantomime it was like mm, what's going on like yeah. yeah whereas i think with the the newer version it seems albeit more serious mm. it's got just so much more tonally correct it's more mm. tonally correct that you kind of feel in it um this i mean obviously we're watching it way in the future you know 40 years on that mm. it's probably unfair to compare some aspects but i do think if you know, if we compared this to the same situation as wonka mm. that the gene wilder version still absolutely smacks mm. right now it's still great you can watch yeah. that film and it's still brilliant yeah and the newer version sounds just as good but it's just for a different audience whereas yeah. with this i'm so glad they've remade it because if this was the only experience anyone had of june i'd be thinking yeah. well that's terrible but actually yeah. to have remade it is great and you know they put it in two parts. They've made it a yeah. real blockbuster movie, but that's got a great tone, great atmosphere to it. Mm. Yeah, this didn't have that. Um, I don't, if anything, because I was wondering, oh, is this kind of good viewing for people that are interested in the new film? I was like, I'd avoid this. I wouldn't watch this if you, <laughs> if, if, if it's your first time watch, because you might be tempted, right? You might think, oh, well, I'll watch the older version. No, no, just, just watch the new one. I think this, it hasn't aged well, but I still don't think it would have been that impressive at the time. And it sounds like it wasn't. So yeah, it's, it's not Star Wars and it's not even June for me. Um, I say I've, I don't get on very well with David Lynch films. Um, I like the elephant man. I thought blue velvet was good. Uh, I had to watch it a few times before I thought it was good. <laughs> um, 
There was, oh, what's that other one? Mulholland Drive, I think, was also really good. But I absolutely loathed uh, Eraserhead. Uh, could not stand that film. And this is also going into that list. June is going into that list of films that I won't watch of his. Like, I'm not going to watch this again. <laughs> uh, what about you, Brian? Do you feel like you're going to watch this again? No, no, I wouldn't really. I'd stick. I'd stick with the with um, the remake, the remade version. I think the David Lynch version is for David Lynch fans. It's a curiosity, and it's it's not. It's just not good. It doesn't. It hasn't worn very well. The effects that were available in the early eighties are, are primitive by comparison to what you have now, and that's something else that makes it suffer. Sometimes basic CGI, basic special effects can be part of its charm, but it just doesn't work now. I mean, you've only got to look at the amount of money the new film made. Um, it made $300 million at the box office. David Lynch's version lost $10 million. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah, and I wouldn't always you know, go by that, but in this case, I think it is, is, it's a fair thing to have said. Um, <clears throat> okay. So... June part two. Uh, it's actually due out in, in March, I believe now, March 1st, mm. um, 2024, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, so, yeah, very excited for that. And hopefully we've saved some people a trip down yeah. a disastrous and, lane. And I, actually, I, I did read that June part two should have come out in the 80s, but they canned it because uh, the first June film was so poorly received. There so, you go. We finally so, got there. But it, but it's, but it's a, it's a fair point, Chris. You can't, you can't necessarily assume because a film makes a lot of money, it's any good. But I, th- I think it's a good comparison here between these two films, and the way you approach a film that David Lynch on this occasion, just in my opinion, it, and in yours, by the sound of it, he just got it wrong. Absolutely, yeah. And it's not often, actually, I don't think it ever really happens when we revisit a film for nostalgia pick yeah. that it's one we don't like. But with this, it was tied into a release. So I thought it was a good idea to sort of do that. But also, part of the nostalgia thing is also to, to question that and you know, revisit a film. Mm. I hadn't seen it anyway. So for me, this was a travel back to a new film. Mm. And it's good to just have a reason to go back and see an older yeah. film. It's 40 years old, so it's worth our time to just see and Lynch as a filmmaker I'm always absolutely nervous when I watch one of his films whether I'm going to love it or hate it and it just definitely falls into the latter so just out of interest Chris what would what would you say is your favorite David Lynch film then I think The Elephant Man I love The Elephant Man I'm that as well actually it's just such a brilliantly filmed piece of art is so great such a great mm. story great performance by john hurt mm. really loved it um yeah i think blue velvet i really liked but i had to watch it a couple of times the first time i watched it i was like oh this is awful but then i sort of watched it a few more times understood yeah. more of the symbolism yeah. and things that were going on yeah. got more out of it but yeah. i tell you the one i absolutely hated was a razor head i thought a oh, razor no. head couldn't no. absolutely do one i would no. never watch that ever i wouldn't wish no. that on my worst enemy that film no Absolutely not, no. Uh, I don't think I've ever finished that film off properly. <laughs> you know when you yeah. start a film, you think, oh, no, no, hang on. No, I wish I could head. have done that. I was in a screening at the BFI. I'd gone yeah. to do like a David Lynch thing and I was watching yeah. it and I was just I was dying to leave. But I was, you know when you're surrounded <laughs> by like um, yeah. cinema 
uh, you know, fans. Yeah. And these are real hardcore lynchings. Yeah. And I was like, if I get up now, they are going to lynch me. Yeah, mm. see what I did there? I think oh, it's yeah, just... I you think were queuing was, that one up, weren't you? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought I'll, I'll get that in. But I, yeah, that for me is... It's one of those things where, you know, when someone sort of says, oh, you have to like it. You know, you have, you must like it. I know. No, 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 I don't. I really no. don't. Art is very subjective and this no, is awful. Uh, uh, another um, pretty decent, fairly decent uh, David Lynch film, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that is up there um, with the yeah. with the good ones. Um, uh, I have not, I've never seen Twin Peaks, the show. I think that, that apparently that's very good. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, the TV show, I, I kind of saw it on and off, but I know exactly what you mean about Twin Peaks, the film. It, it's a, it's, it's a slow burner, isn't it? You have to, you can't just see it once and get it straight away. Uh, but then again, some would say that's the appeal of David Lynch. Um, I like that he challenges people. I do like that. And I think, you know, filmmakers should be, you know, um, they're artists at the heart of it. They, that's what they are. And the storytellers, oh. I think with something like June, that it's not his story. It's just his film that the way that he's decided to bring that to the screen just does not work. Um, and it's well, certainly not in any long standing way no. that it is proof. It's proof that artists can be wrong when they can get the, that everything they do isn't absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, so this is, I would, I would point this out to anyone that says, you know, Oh, you got to love all Lynch films because you don't no, really no, you don't. Haven't. No, you haven't. No, you um, haven't. <laughs> quite a depressing note to finish the podcast yeah, on, but yeah, I no. think it's important. Um, we have gone through some amazing uh, films in this episode. Uh, hopefully, our listeners have made it to the end and you've know, got some things that you want to watch. Yep. If you've seen any of the films that we reviewed, uh, do let us know what you thought of them, um, and we will be back next month with another episode will be in Oscar territory, I believe. Um, So probably would have happened, I think maybe by the time we recorded. I actually can't think of it. I think it's March, isn't it? Oh, okay. Uh, Maybe not. So so maybe we can do some, uh, some preamble about the, uh, the Oscars. That'd be nice. Yeah. Talk about the, uh, the nominees. Yeah. Sounds good. But um, yeah, thank you for being with us. uh, If you've listened all the way, if you've dropped out halfway, I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now. So <laughs> your loss, your loss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Brian, as always for being with me and for going to the cinema so much and watching all these films. Um, no yeah, problem. You are that, that beautiful brain of yours is you know, you full much. of um, amazing new films. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Bye for now.